Well, good morning, everyone, again. Uh, need your participation for the next few minutes. You have to actually say something, okay? I think you'll know what to say when the time comes. So you ready? Oh, good. There's some people that are actually participating. Good. <laughs> knock, knock. Abby. Happy New Year! <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I was asked, uh, I asked a friend where, where he saw, thought he'd be in the next year, where he saw himself in the next year. And he's like, I don't know. And I'm like, well, I thought you had 2020 vision. Oh, yes, be ready for the onslaught of puns about 2020 vision in this coming year. I can't wait to see them all. Oh, yeah, that was a pun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so now, now let's can the jokes. Let's let's go for the, uh, what do you call those things? The, uh, no, the puzzles. Oh, sheesh, forgot the word. Anyways, so what are we going to be saying next year at this time? Happy New Year, yeah. Ah, finally, someone's got it. Hindsight's 2020. Yes, of course. Okay, I know it's corny. <laughs> but today, we are going to be looking at spiritual vision. And uh, Jesus often uses these terms uh, to see rather than blindness, uh, to, to describe the, the spiritual condition of people. And uh, so as corny as it might be, we're going to check our spiritual 20 vision to see if it's 2020 this morning. And let's make sure that we're not like Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson when they went on a camping trip. You see, when they went on a camping trip, uh, they had this nice little meal. They drank a little wine, headed off to bed, and, and fell asleep. And uh, in the middle of the night, Sherlock Holmes wakes up, and he, he nudges his faithful friend, and he says, Dr. Watson, what, what, what? Look up. What? What do you see? Oh, I see stars. And uh, Sherlock says, so, so what does that tell you? Well, and Dr. Watson thinks for a minute, and he says, astronomically, it tells me that there's millions of, of uh, galaxies and probably billions of planets. And astrologically, I, I observe that Saturn is in Leo. And horologically, I observe that it's probably about quarter after three. And theologically, I can see that God is infinite and huge and that we are minuscule. And meteorologically, I suspect that tomorrow will be a very nice day. So why do you ask, Sherlock? Oh, my dear Watson, you're so blind to the obvious. I deduce that someone has stolen our tent. <laughs> Sometimes we can get lost in thinking the big thoughts, and we miss the obvious things that God wants to show us. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. So before we have a look at, at John chapter 9, let's just bow and ask God to bless his word. Father, we come before you this morning. And we pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes so that we can see into the scriptures. And that we can see where we're reflected in the scriptures. 
Lord, it's so easy for us to say, oh, that's an important message for someone else. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to evaluate our own spiritual vision, to see if we have closed our eyes to what you're doing, to what you want to do through us. And so we pray, Lord, that you would anoint me as I speak your word. May it be powerful and true. And I pray that you would anoint us so that we might hear your voice in this message. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 9, I'm not actually going to read it. I'm going to tell the story. You can just follow along and make sure I get the story right. So uh, so Jesus is walking along with his disciples one day, and he sees this man that's been born blind. And his disciples say, Jesus, uh, who, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus says, oh, no, it wasn't this man nor his parents. Uh, but the reason he was born blind was so that the glory of God might be revealed. Um, as long as it's day, we must do the works, work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. And while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And then he, he spit on the ground and he, he started making a little bit of mud out of the spit that he had, he had made. And he put it on the man's eyes. And he said, go, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. Siloam meets scent. And so off the man went. And he washed at the pool of Siloam. And he went home seeing. It was a miracle, amazing thing. And his neighbors and those who knew him, uh, they seen him begging. They said, hey, isn't this the same guy that, that used to beg? And some people said, oh, no, it, it just looks like him. And others said, no, no, I think it's him. And, but he himself, he said, yeah, I'm the guy. And they said, well, how in the world can you see now? And he explained to them, um, the man they called Jesus made some mud and he put it, put it on my eyes and he told me to go to the pool of Siloam and I went and now I, I washed and now I can see. And, uh, and they said, well, well, where is this man? And the man said, well, I don't know. And so they brought him to the Pharisees and the, the man who had been blind. And now the day on which the, the man had been healed was the Sabbath day. And so the Pharisees asked him, how have you received your sight? And the man said, well, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and now I see. And some of the Pharisees said, hey, this man, referring to Jesus, this man cannot be from, of God because he's working on the Sabbath day. And others said, well, this is a, an amazing miracle. How can a sinner perform such miracles? And so they, they were divided. And so they turned again to the blind man. They said, what do you have to say about it, him? It was your eyes that, he, that were restored. And the man said, he's a prophet. And they still did not believe that he had been blind and received his, his sight until they sent for his parents. And they asked him, is this your son? Is this the one you claim that was born blind? How is it now that he can see? Oh, we know it's our son, the parents responded. Uh, and we know he was born blind, but how he can see now? We don't know. I mean, he's old enough. Ask him. Uh, and so um, his parents said this because they were afraid because the, the Pharisees, they had said that anybody who acknowledges that Jesus was the Christ, they were going to kick out of the, 
out of this uh, synagogue. And so, so that's why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. They didn't want to get involved. And so a second time, they summoned the blind man, the previously blind man. Give glory to God and tell us the truth. We know this man is a sinner. And the, the, the previously blind man said, well, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But this I know. I was blind, and now I can see. They asked him, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And the blind man said, I've already told you. But you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciple too? And they hurled insults at him. You are this follower's disciples. We followed Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And the blind man said, well, that's an amazing thing. Nobody's ever heard of somebody opening the eyes of a man born blind. And yet you don't know where he came from? we know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to godly people who do his will. Nobody's ever heard of someone opening the the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could not do anything. And they replied, you are steeped in sin from birth. How do you know anything? And they threw him out of the, out of the, the synagogue. And Jesus found out that he had been kicked out of the synagogue. And so Jesus came along and said, do you... Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man said, well, tell me, who, who is the Son of Man that I might believe in him? And Jesus said, I, the one speaking to you, and he am he. And the man must have recognized Jesus' voice because obviously he, didn't, he never saw Jesus, right? Because he was blind before. And, and the man says, I believe. I believe. And they bowed down and he worshiped Jesus. And Jesus said, for judgment I came into the world, so that the blind will see, and those who are seeing will become blind. And some of the Pharisees were were still hanging around, right? And they're like, what, are we blind too? And Jesus said, "If if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But the fact that you claim to see means you're still guilty. I love that story. It's just so amazing. Well, I love it and I hate it. Because I love it because it tells this potent message that Jesus has the power to heal. But I hate it because, you know, it's so easy for us to get so blinded by our traditions, by what we think is right, that we close our eyes to the obvious miracles of God. We're very much like the Pharisees. And so this morning I want to point out four things that cause spiritual blindness that we need to watch out for. And you know, the first one, it's actually not, not the Pharisees that were blind. And the first one, in fact, it, it's the one I relate to the most because I realized while I was doing this study that it's the one that, I'm, that causes me to be blind the most. And so let's... Go back to the beginning of the story and let's go through this story and check out four things that cause us to be blind. The story opens with Jesus walking down the road, right? And seeing a, a blind man. Uh, and, and what I, let's have it up on the screen if we could. And what, I, what I'm amazed at 
is the difference between what Jesus saw and what the disciples saw. Notice this slide, next slide. He saw a man blind from birth. Jesus saw a man blind from birth. What do you think was going on in Jesus' heart when he saw a man blind from birth? I think compassion. I heard somebody whispering it. I think there was compassion going on in in his heart. But when the disciples saw the very same sight, what did they do? They went to a theological question. Who sinned, this man or his parents? They wanted to know what what Jesus would say about that. I believe the disciples, they had blinders on. They weren't looking at the same things as Jesus was looking at. Jesus saw a blind man who needed healing. The disciples, they saw a sinner who was being punished. Did you see that from what they said? Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? that he was born blind. They can only think that there was only two possibilities for that would explain this man's blindness at birth. Either he sinned or his parents to sinned. What a ridiculous question. How could he have sinned to be born blind? I mean, can you really sin in your mother's womb? <laughs> it's crazy to even ask the question. It's a horrible thing to say. Um, however, When we look at the theological backdrop of the disciples, they only had the Old Testament. They only had the law in which God says very, very clearly that if you sin, you're going to be cursed. And if you don't sin, you're going to be blessed. And so this mindset was very clear in their minds. And so they saw, well, obviously this guy wasn't blessed. So there must be sin going on somewhere. And they blamed his parents. And they often thought this way, that, that a judgment of God came in the form of illness or sickness or punishment. And do you see what the problem with this so is? It means that everybody who's sick must be a horrible sinner. And everybody who's healthy, <laughs> they're good with God, right? I'm healthy, I'm good, I get, life is good, so... I must be okay with God. You see the insinuous attitude that was going on in the disciples. Now, you know, I hope that you don't believe that someone who is sick is somehow deserving of that sickness because God is punishing them for their sins. Certainly, sometimes God does discipline us. But by and large, for the most part, we as educated people know that, that uh, people are sick because we live in a fallen world. That, that this world has been cursed and it's subject to decay and our bodies decay and everything decays and um, there is evil in this world because of sin, yes, but not our personal sin. It's a general sin that happened since Adam and Eve came. But... Just because we know that, I think sometimes we still are blinded by a judgment attitude when we see people. We still do what the disciples did when we see people. The disciples saw in the blind man a theological debate. Jesus saw in the blind man someone in whom the work of God would be made known. What do you see when you see people? Do you have blinders on? Do I have blinders on? 
Are you tempted to judge? Think about it. Remember the AIDS epidemic that happened 20 years ago or so? Right? Where was it prevalent? In, in the homosexual community, right? And as Christian, and those of you that remember this, did it ever... Did the thought ever go through your mind? Well, they're just getting what they deserve. They disobeyed God, and so now AIDS is running rampant through the homosexual community. That's a judgment thought. Pretty sure I thought it at least once. I never said it out loud. I would be embarrassed to say that out loud. But I'm sure somewhere in my heart, I'm I'm pretty sure I thought that. And if you let that thought fester in your mind... It will rob you of the ability to show love and compassion to a man dying of AIDS. A man who needs God's love and God's compassion, and you're you're the conduit. And those thoughts, while they're just getting what they deserve, will absolutely destroy your ability to show love and kindness. When you see a teenage mother struggling to raise her child by herself. And you're tempted to say, well, that's what you get for having a child out of wedlock. Should have waited till you got married. And we have this judgmental attitude, and it stops us from showing love and compassion. How, How are we different from the disciples then? How are we different? When we think like that, we are blind to the needs When you see the effects of alcoholism and someone is ruining their family and we say, well, what do you expect? You keep drinking every night. The love and compassion is gone. When we see someone shooting up with drugs, I mean, have you ever considered the the safe needle debate? You know, in Vancouver, they, they hand out needles to addicts. They're clean needles so that they don't get sick from, from uh, dirty needles. And I'm pretty sure I've scoffed at that idea once or twice and thought to myself, they're just helping them, helping them with their addict, helping them stick with their, their, their addiction. But they're not. They're trying to save lives. They're trying to keep people from destroying themselves with dirty needles. Where's the Christian compassion here? When we judge right away and we don't care that they get sick because of dirty needles and die because of contaminated needles, we don't care? Well, it's your own fault. shouldn't be doing those drugs. I'm telling you, when I, when I started really digging into the, this verse of the way the disciples' attitude, I started realizing, oh dear, I have that attitude. I have that self-righteous attitude that says, well, just suffer the consequences a little bit. I'll get around to helping you eventually, but you should suffer a little bit for your sin. What a sick attitude. It's just like the disciples. We're just blinded. We don't understand. How much easier it is to sit back and have a theological debate about whether or not we should give out clean needles to heroin addicts and be all self-righteous about it 
when in reality someone's dying because they got a needle that had AIDS in it? I, you know, I don't, I don't know the answers to these questions. I, I don't know what we should do or what we shouldn't do. All I know that is in my heart, I realize there's the attitude of the disciples to the sick man. Kind of well, there's got to be some blame there somewhere. And I think we, especially when we know that people have lived a life that is ungodly, that we are less prone to help out. Oh, if a godly person, they get sick or whatever, oh yeah, I'm there. I'm going to help for sure. But someone who's uh, lived a rough life, well, yeah, they sort of deserve it. Oh, Lord, spare us. Lord, change us. Has our judgmental attitude blinded us to the needs of people? Now, I'm not suggesting that we enable people to keep on doing heroin or keep on drinking alcohol, although we enable people to just go live life an immoral life. I'm not suggesting that at all. But what I'm suggesting is that we watch that we're not sitting in the judgment seat and judging people and saying they are less deserving of God's grace than I am. That's baloney. That is baloney. They are equally deserving of God's grace. And if we can't see ourselves, that we are sinners, that we have wronged God's holiness, that we have fallen, and that we don't deserve God's grace, if we can't see that, then we truly are blind. And we're not seeing very clearly. We need to see what God wants to do. That's what Jesus saw. When, Jesus, when it says that, that Jesus saw a man blind from birth, right away he was thinking, okay, Father, what do you want me to do about this? That's what Jesus saw right away. And we need to get into Jesus' shoes. And so instead of seeing the world with judgment, here's God himself, the holiest being in the world, not condemning someone right away, seeing an opportunity and I think we need to see. If we're going to have 2020 spiritual vision next year, we need to see the way God sees the people that are in need. And see a, an opportunity. I have no business viewing the junkie, the alcoholic, the immoral, the tra- transgender person as somehow having to reap the consequences of their sin when I fully expect Jesus to bear the consequences of my sin, right? Talk about blind sometimes. Wow. You know, the Bible says, he did not treat us as his sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. That's good news. But let's pass it on to other people as well. God didn't treat us as our sins deserve. Why do we think that we should treat people as their sins deserve? It's just wrong. The Bible says, do not judge or you'll be judged. 
For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you used, it will be measured to you. So that was the first thing. The next thing is that skepticism blinds us to the reality of what God's doing and what God wants to do. Uh, I mean, what happened to this, the, the people when, when this blind man returns home and he can see and people start seeing him and says, whoa, isn't that the same guy that was in the temple? You know, he was, he was collecting uh, alms. Uh, isn't that the same guy? No, no, it can't be him. Look, he can see. We've known this guy all our life and he can't see. We're pretty sure he can't see now. So they're divided. They're skeptical. They don't believe that a miracle has happened. And the man, um, and then, then he says, he insists, no, I'm the man. Well, how in the world did your eyes get opened? You see the skepticism? How did, how did your eyes get opened? They're skeptical. And he replied, there's this man called Ma- Jesus. Made some mud, told me to go wash in the pool of Siloam. I washed, now I can see. Uh, where's this man? <laughs> They're skeptical. They want to find out, where's this guy? Who's this guy? We want to meet this guy who told you to wash. And We're, we're, not, we're a little skeptical about what's going on here. And, and the man says, I don't know. So what do they do? They take the blind man and they bring, them, bring him to the Pharisees because they want another opinion, a spiritual opinion. How in the world can this guy possibly see? Surely the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, must know what's going on here. And they're skeptical. Uh, and so I, want, I wonder if some of us struggle with skepticism when it comes to faith. I mean, I'm a little skeptical sometimes. I, I mean, I remember one time a faith healer came to our city and some of our parishioners went to see him. And what they noticed was that the people that were going up on the stage to be healed, some coming on wheelchairs and getting out, uh, were the same people they had seen got healed on his TV show three weeks earlier. Uh, yeah, it makes me a little skeptical of the whole business. <laughs> like, come on, what's going on here? I smell a, a rat here. And so sometimes, yeah, I'm skeptical when, when people say this guy was healed. And I mean, sometimes, you know, when I hear uh, re- region, regional bonky, you know, and he proclaims that, yeah, this guy was, was in the basement of my church. He had been hit by an automobile. They had injected him with, with uh, preservatives to preserve the body. And he got raised from the dead. And I'm like, yeah, I'd like to see a little more on this. Where's the doctor's report? Where? And I actually looked into it. I saw the doctor's report and everything. But I'm a little skeptical, right? When, when uh, in Redding, California, they start praying for this toddler that had died last week. And they're asking the whole world to pray that God would raise this toddler from the dead. Huh? I'm like, oh, that, that makes me a little nervous, you know. And, and yeah, we are, we're naturally skeptical. And yet, sometimes our skepticism can blind us to the reality of what God's doing. I mean, I was sitting right back there. Uh, where Ron Taylor's sitting. I, I remember I was sitting right there. Sarkis was preaching up here. Sorry, Ron, didn't mean to point you out there. <laughs> but that's where I was sitting. And, uh, and, and there was this preacher going on and on in Arabic about how God wants to heal us. And then he went around and was uh, praying for people. And uh, he prayed for the person on my left and on my right. Um, and, 
And I didn't say anything. I had just cracked my rib two days earlier. I was in pain as I was sitting there. Every breath I took was a sharp pain right here in my side. And uh, I didn't say anything because, well, I didn't feel worthy. Mostly I didn't feel worthy of being prayed for because it was my own stupid fault that I had gotten the cracked rib, right? (laughs) Until my dear friend Naya comes along and says, Pastor, I thought you had a cracked rib. Why don't you get prayed for, right? (laughs) And I'm like, I'm embarrassed into being prayed for. He's some pastor I am. Anyways, okay, I'll let him pray for me. And so he prayed for me. He put his hand right on my chest here. And he prayed. And while he was praying, I felt something move in my ribcage. And I was like, whoa, what was that? I didn't say anything. I didn't tell Jennifer. I didn't tell anybody. You know why? I was skeptical. I wanted to make sure that God healed me before I said anything. I mean, it freaked me. I, I was like, whoa, what was that? And you know, I never had the sharp pain from breathing ever again. God healed me. But it wasn't until two days later that I said anything. Because I was, I was skeptical. I, I'm sorry I was born that way, God. I'm sorry. And I should not be that way, but I am. Now, I am a little bit that way because I've been fooled too many times, right? And I don't like to be fooled, and that's embarrassing. Um, So I'm not saying, you know, just accept everything, it's all good. But I'm just saying it's their natural inclination to be skeptical. And yet, I believe God wants to open our eyes to see the supernatural. And I believe that God only gives us a certain amount of, of seeing like in other words he doesn't make it impossible for us to not believe in other words if jesus christ himself showed up here today in all of his glory and we were all blinded and we're all blown away by his glory everybody would believe I mean, we couldn't not believe right but god has made it so that faith is required for us to believe and i'm telling you i struggled with this for, uh, three, three years ago, I really struggled big time. Why is faith required? Why does God care how much faith we have? And I didn't know, and I didn't know the answer, and I, and I fought with God over it, actually. <laughs> I kind of had an argument that lasted about a year and a half of asking God, why is it so important to have faith? And I don't get it. And, and it was for personal reasons. And I was, I was upset with God, actually. And... Uh, Sorry, that happens sometimes. I feel akin to Job sometimes, you know, uh, a little bit of frustration. And um, and finally I realized that I'm never going to know. I'm going to be like Job. I won't really know the, the real answer why God requires faith, faith from everyone, but that he does require it. And he doesn't make it so obvious that we can't reject him. There seems to be something that God wants our love to be voluntary, not absolutely demanded. And so he only gives us enough revelation to convince us of the truth. And then we have the option of saying, no, I don't want to know the truth. I'm going to reject the truth. 
And that's what God gives to every person. Romans chapter 1 is very, very clear. When, when we go through Romans chapter 1, it, it says, um, people suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, has been clearly seen. We're talking about vision here, right? It's been clearly seen, having been understood from what has been made. So people are without excuse. God made it clear to all of us. There's enough evidence for God in the world. And although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. We know that people try to devise ways of getting rid of getting God out of the picture. Darwinism is a classic example of trying to get rid of God. Let's just get rid of the creator. If there's no creator, if we're just a bunch of, um, of, of matter jammed together by chance, then we don't have any responsibility to a creator and let's, let's move on with our lives. And then it says that God therefore gave them over to sinful desires. You see... It's really our desire to be free from the master of the universe that causes us to reject God. Because otherwise there would be no reason to reject God. But we want to be free from his control. And so, and then it goes on that God gives them over to shameful lusts. And, and in fact, included in that is the whole thing, homosexuality thing. And that God gives us over. Well, okay, if you don't want to follow me, I will just let you do whatever you want to do. And... Uh, I mean, Romans 1 is a picture of Canada today. It really is. It's shocking how almost exact it is and that God gives us over to a depraved mind. Even though it's plain to people, we want to reject it because we don't want to know the truth. Remember the story that Jesus told about the rich man and Lazarus? And, and remember that the, they, they both die and they end up in heaven or, or Lazarus ends up in heaven and the rich man ends up in hell. And, and the rich man says, oh, oh, if you could just send uh, Lazarus to dip his tongue in some, uh, dip his finger in some water and put it on my tongue, it would be, I just, please, Father Abraham, could you send him over just to be kind to me just for a minute? And, and Father Abraham says, oh, no, there's a great divide between you and us and can't be done. You had your good things in the past life. Now Lazarus has his good things. Sorry. And the rich man says, Oh, but please, could you just send Lazarus back to my brothers to warn them about this place? And Abraham says, Ah, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Oh, no, Father Abraham. If someone rises from the dead, they will believe. And what does Father Abraham say? If they don't believe Moses and the prophets, neither will they believe if someone rises from the dead. And we, we kind of go like, oh, come on, Jesus, really? No. We would believe if someone rose from the dead. I mean, how could you not believe? Well, guess what? Lazarus did rise from the dead, didn't he? This was a parable at first, but then it became reality when Lazarus actually rose from the dead. And did the leading priests and elders believe? 
No. No. Look what it says. It says, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus came there, and not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Talk about stone-cold hearts. Instead of admitting that they were wrong and that God was involved in doing great miracles, what did they do? Skeptics. Oh, he can't be, he can't be from God. He heals on the Sabbath day. And once they decided Jesus is not from God, even when a dead guy gets raised from the dead, they're like, oh no, they're still skeptical. And they would rather commit murder to cover up their skepticism than admit that they were wrong. That's how powerful it is, my friends. Skepticism can destroy your faith and rob you of faith. Because the Bible and Jesus is very clear that even if someone raises from the dead, people will still not believe. So in other words, God calls us to believe on the facts that we have, not the facts that we want. And so we need to watch out for skepticism. You know, I'm often reminded of, of Gideon. Remember, remember Gideon, the great warrior? God comes to him and says, oh, you're, you're a mighty man of God, and you're going to rescue Israel. And, the, and Gideon says, hey, who am I? You know? And then the angel of the Lord goes up in, in the smoke of the fire pot, you know, like, poosh. And Gideon's like, whoa. Gideon had witnessed an incredible miracle, a man disappearing in, in, up, with, up in smoke. And so when God calls him, he should have gone and fought the Midianites. But he didn't. He said, give me a sign. He already had a sign. But now he asked for a sign. And God gives him a sign of the, the fleece thing. And then gives, him, gives it, them the sign twice. But did you ever notice that he gives Gideon the two signs of, of the fleece, right? But did you notice that then God cuts down Gideon's army twice? From 30,000 down to 300. And I think God does that because he says, hey, if I've given you a lot of things to believe, if I've given you tons of evidence, I'm going to make it harder. I think God always gives faith on a level playing field. And the more we ask for God's signs, the tougher he makes it for us. It's a possibility that that's what's going on, I think. Paul says, you know what? Uh, Even though people reject God, they turn their backs on God, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm going to keep preaching. Why? Because the gospel has power. And I think today we are skeptical of the gospel. We think there are some people beyond the reach of the gospel. I don't need to share the gospel with that neighbor because there's no way that neighbor will ever accept Jesus. And we forget That God sees people, our neighbors, our colleagues, our friends, and he says, this is a person who needs my touch, and this one needs my touch, and this one I have marked for salvation, and he's calling us to be the conduit. And we're just blind to it. And we just go, oh, well, I mean, the gospel's powerful, but I don't think it's powerful enough to reach that person. We don't say that out loud, (laughs) but our actions say that. 
doesn't it? Aren't there some people that you're just not going to share the gospel with because you're, you know there's no way, there's no way they're going to accept the gospel? Isn't that why we don't share? Yeah, that, that's exactly why. Why? So in other words, what we're saying is the gospel doesn't have enough power for that person. Of course the gospel has the power for that person. Through the power of God, this blind man's life was changed forever. And by the power of God and the gospel, your friends and colleagues can be changed forever. What would happen if God's people stopped being skeptical about the power of the gospel and started believing in it? (laughs) The world would be changed. Do you remember Saul? Breathing threats and going around imprisoning the Christians. I, I think the, the apostles, when they, when they think of Saul, they're like, oh, that guy's never going to become a believer. <laughs> I mean, no way. But God reveals himself. Saul flips and becomes the most prominent Christian we know of and, and wrote half of the New Testament and spread the gospel all over Asia, all over Asia Minor and up into Europe and all over the place. Whoa. So let's stop telling God what we think he will do or could do. Let's just start believing that the gospel has power. So uh, let's move on. Uh, Religion blinds. Now this is the obvious point of the story, that that the the Pharisees were steeped in their religion, and their their religious viewpoints wouldn't allow the the miracle to penetrate through that. And they just, just, oh, the Bible is very clear. You're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. Jesus working on the Sabbath, obviously, he's healing a blind man. So, obviously, he's a sinner. (laughs) I love that one. So often, we have our own little theological box. Don't you dare step out of that theological box, because otherwise, surely you're not from God. How many times have I heard it? Oh, that guy's a Catholic implying, oh, God can't possibly work through that guy. How many times have you heard it? Oh, he's from Vineyard. Oh, they're all wackos. How many times have you heard that? We hear it all the time. And we reject people outright because of our theological box. And, oh, you're outside our box? You can't possibly have God. What are we talking about? God's a little bigger than your little box. My little box. We're so quick to dis- discount things that we don't find in the Bible. You know, holy laughter. Oh, <laughs> that happened at airport church. Clearly not from God. How do you know whether it's from God or not? Uh, slaying in the Spirit. Well, we don't see that in the Bible. Better reject that. Speaking in tongues in a prayer meeting without interpretation. No, 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 no. That can't happen. Lacto divinia. Oh, yeah, that's happened for a long time, but... Uh, I can't possibly be from God. We don't see that in the Bible. And on and on it goes, over and over. But what about the passage in the Bible that says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. (laughs) Forgot about that verse, didn't you? (laughs) See, now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Hmm, are you blind? Is God doing something new? Now, I think we need to be careful what we accept and what we don't accept. I'm not just saying open the floodgates, believe everything. I'm not saying that. 
I'm just saying that don't reject it just because it's outside of your experience. Oh, therefore, it can't be real. No, 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 no. That's simply not true. God can do new, new things. Of course he can. And whether there's a Catholic or a vineyard person or whatever, God's not bound to our petty definitions of denomination. God can use people. I mean, he used a donkey to talk to Balaam, didn't he? <laughs> he can use anybody. Now, there are truths that we can't compromise. Absolutely. But let's face it. The, the more I study as, as a pastor, as a theologian, and the more I study the Bible, the more I realize that I must not have it right because I've changed my mind on heavy-duty topics so many times that I can't possibly have it right now. So when I hold my theology, I hold it loosely. And I say, you know what? This is what I think right now. This is what I believe to be true. This is what I've studied, and and I've come to this conclusion. But I might be wrong. I'm not God. I don't know everything. Um, and, And, you know, recently in the Christian Missionary Alliance, the Christian Missionary Alliance in Canada has been kind of split apart a little bit. And there's people on two sides of the fence. You know why? Because David Hearn, he got slain in the spirit. He's our our president, you know. He's talking about people getting healed all the time. In his ministry, people get healed there, right, left, and center. And miracles are going on, and people are delivered. And the denomination is like, our leader is like becoming a charismatic, and what are we going to do? Hey, if God is in it, if God's moving, what are we afraid of? What what is going on? I mean, ah. So let's not have the blinders of religion blocking God from doing what he came to do. You know, when Jesus went to his hometown, the people in his hometown, they had blinders on. They said, oh, we know Jesus. He's Joseph and Mary's son, the carpenter. What is he doing pretending to be a a rabbi? (laughs) Who does he think he is? And what does it say? Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God, the all-powerful creator of the world, could not do many miracles there. Could not. It's because of the the skepticism. It's because of the religiosity of those people. Couldn't do it. Wow. Wow. Okay, last thing that blinds us. Fear. Fear blinds us. Remember the, 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 the uh, parents of this guy that was healed? They, they're brought in for questioning. Hey, come, is this your son? And, you know, you say he was blind born, but really, he can see now, so obviously he wasn't. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, he, he's our son, all right. And, uh, he, yeah, he was born blind, but... But how come you can see now? We're not touching that with a 10-foot pole, you know. Why? Because they were afraid. You see, in those days, when you got kicked out of the synagogue, you didn't just get kicked out of the synagogue. You got kicked out of social relationships. Nobody would, would socialize with you if you weren't part of the synagogue. Nobody would do business with you. Oh, we heard you got kicked out of the synagogue. Oh, sorry, you can't... Uh, clean my house so you can't do you know i'm not going to have any business with you you so these parents they were afraid they didn't want to get kicked out they didn't want to lose their status 
So can you imagine not siding with your son, not sticking up for your son who just received his sight after being who knows how long blind? And then like, oh, no. Fear is powerful. Fear is powerful. And we can be afraid of what God might do if we step out in faith, can't we? We can be afraid. Fear is a crippling. If we didn't fear rejection, if we didn't fear persecution for speaking up about the truth, this place would be, the world would be different. So don't be blinded by fear. The Pharisees asked, are we blind too? Maybe we should ask that question, eh? Are we blind too? We're blind if we're controlled by judgment. We're blind if we're controlled by skepticism. We're blind if we're stuck in our little theological box and think that God can't work outside that box. We're blind. We're blind if we're fearing what people say and we don't recognize that God is all-powerful and fear Him instead. We need to be like the blind man who said, One thing I know, I was blind, now I see. Amen? Amen. People, it's time for us to open up our eyes to what the Father is doing. You know, David Hearn, I just mentioned him. He was, he was playing this game with his granddaughter. He was playing I Spy with My Little Eye, right? You know how to play the game. You say, I spy with my little eye, something that and you name a color, and then the other person is supposed to guess what you spied, right? And so she says, oh, red, and he's, he's naming off all the red things he can see, and no, no, Grandpa, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. And then, and then it's green, and then it's red, and, and all Grandpa's wrong all the time. And Grandpa can't figure out what in the world is she looking at? You know? And finally, he realizes she's looking at the garbage in the floor of his car. <laughs> all the garbage down there that he wasn't paying attention to, the candy wrappers and all that stuff down there. And so for the next five questions, the answer was always garbage, and he was right every time. Um, and you know what? It's a little bit the way God is operating with this. We're playing... God's playing a game of I spy with my little eye. And God tells our hearts what he's spying. And it's up to us to figure it out. You know, there's a, there's a, this, we just went through the story in, in uh, John 9. But in John chapter 5, there's almost the identical story. Except that instead of a blind man, it's a lame man. And they go through the whole spiel, and the whole thing happens, and they challenge Jesus. Why are you working on the Sabbath day? You know, like, what's going on? And Jesus answers them. And you know what Jesus says? My Father is always working. In other words, God doesn't have a Sabbath break. <laughs> That's basically what Jesus is saying. My Father's always at work. Always at work. Uh, Verily, verily, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself, he says. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. 
And yes, he will show him greater works than these, so you will be amazed. You see what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying what he sees the Father. Jesus says that he sees the Father. The Father's always showing him what's going on. So in other words, when Jesus gets to this blind man who's been blind from birth, Jesus sees that the Father wants to heal him. When he gets to the lame man beside the pool, Jesus sees a man that is broken and desperate for healing, but can't get it. He's tried many, he has faith, he's tried to get in the pool when the angel comes and stirs the water, but he can't do it. So he has faith, but he's not able to. And Jesus sees that. What do you see? You know, you might say, well, that was Jesus. Jesus is God. Do you remember what we talked about last week? Okay, or was it last week? I don't remember when it was, maybe two weeks ago. We talked about that God had put, Jesus put aside his divine qualities to come to earth. Jesus was just like us. In fact, he gives us that same spirit to do the same thing. If you look in Acts chapter 14, verse 9, uh, the, the apostles are in Lystra, and, uh, and Paul is preaching the gospel, and there's this guy who's been lame from birth, never walked before. And he listened to Paul he, as he was speaking, and it says that Paul looked directly at him and saw that he had faith to be healed. What did he see? Did he see a sign on the guy's forehead? I have faith. No. What did he see? The guy's... Was he, anticip- was he excited? I, I don't know what he saw. I believe he saw the same things Jesus saw. He saw the Father at work in the man's heart. And he could tell that God was at work in that guy's heart. And so he saw that he had the faith to be healed. And he said to the lame man, come on, get up. Stand on your feet. And at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Well, uh, there's a whole long story about that. Do Do you remember the woman at the well? Jesus comes along, starts talking with the woman. Can you give me a drink? And they have this discussion about drinking. And, 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 and the apostles come back and they're like, ooh, dude, why, why are you talking to a Samaritan woman? I mean, that's what they're thinking, right? They don't say anything, but they're thinking, what in the world do you have with this Samaritan woman? Now, I want to point out the fact that this Samaritan woman was a sinful woman. She had had five husbands. She was living with someone who wasn't her husband right now. And so what did Jesus see? A sinner? Someone who didn't deserve grace? Someone who should be forgotten? Waylaid? No, 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 no. Jesus saw an opportunity for the kingdom of God. And what does he tell his disciples when the disciples come back? He says, open your eyes, disciples. The disciples are like... Oh, what are you doing, Jesus? What are you doing talking to a woman? That's not cool. That's not cool. She's a Samaritan. That's not cool. And Jesus is like, open your eyes, guys. The fields are white unto harvest. You say, don't you have a saying that the, the harvest isn't ready for four months? But I say, open your eyes. The fields are ripe unto harvest. People, we need to open our eyes to see what God is doing. Start seeing people as God sees them. 
David Hearn was, was walking out of a, a, a convenience store, and he's walking along, and he sees this big, burly guy with big, nasty tattoos on his arm, big, heavy-set arms. And, and, he, and he sees him, and, and he's kind of like, oh, I don't want to make eye contact with that guy. And I, I'll just walk over here. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit speaks to him and says, David, what are you doing? What? Don't you see that guy? Uh, yeah, I saw him, Lord. Uh, <laughs> didn't seem like uh, very... Uh, <laughs> He, I, you need to go talk to him. Uh, Lord, uh, he doesn't look too safe to talk to you, actually. <laughs> go talk to him. Okay. Remember the inner voice. What is God doing? What is God saying? What is, and David Hearn sees what God is doing. And so he turned around, and he walked up to the big, burly, nasty-looking, gruff man and said, uh... I just feel like God's calling me to pray for you. And the man starts getting emotional and he says, I didn't think God cared about me. I've been in drug rehab for twice now and I, I just don't see it working. I'm going, I'm on my way there now. And David Hearn prays for the guy and he weeps that God would be interested in him. You see, David Hearn at first just saw a big, burly, bad dude. And God saw someone who needed prayer, compassion, someone who was hurt and broken and needed him. This whole seeing, it's done with the heart. And so in 2020, is your heart going to have the vision of Christ? Or are you just, oh, I'll just stick to my good old human eyes. Because you can't see things with your human eyes. And we need to have a spiritual 2020 vision. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we're judgmental. Lord, we confess that we are skeptical. Lord, we confess that we're, we're, we have a religious box that we operate out of. And Lord, we, we often have fear. We, we don't want to talk to those big burly guys that look mean and nasty. And we feel small. We don't really think that the gospel can change lives. And so, Lord, we confess all of these things. But, Lord, we know that you have conquered all of these things and that you have called us to have your vision, to see with your eyes and to feel with your hands. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us that and open our eyes, Lord. We, we want to see the world as you see the world. And so, Lord, we give ourselves to you and we ask, Lord, that we that you would open our eyes to see the world like you do, to hear the sounds that you hear. And Lord, help us to act in accordance with your will. And Lord, we pray for faith to believe that the gospel is powerful enough to change lives, to believe that our prayers have 
impact and change lives and that people can be healed and changed through our prayers. So, Father, we pray that you would renew these things in us. But we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.